What are you anticipating seeing, you know, amongst the New Zealand teams, given you've, you've given all that about the All Blacks? Oh, just so many good young players, mate. I don't know how you do it there. Oh, I do, because you've got three of the biggest uh, academies in the world. Fiji, Samara and Tonga. They're not bad. Oh, we were waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Hello, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the Dropped Kickoff. I am so excited. I am absolutely over the moon. Let's talk about success. And let's. there's no better place to start than in Melbourne. It's, you know, it was, it was such an audacious occasion down in Melbourne. It was so exciting. Um, and, you know, I really got caught up in the atmosphere and the vibe. Um, and then, you know, everyone thought they didn't have a chance. They didn't have a chance. No one thought that they would have a shot. And then the Matildas come out and score four unbelievable goals and knock the Olympic champions out. It, it was, I think it was one of the best games I've ever watched. Uh, and I'm absolutely over the moon that we are completely changing sporting codes and talking about footy on this podcast. Uh, not footy, soccer from now on. Fuck, I can't even, I can't even keep a straight face. Nah. It's uh, it, it's it's as far as I can go. But alas, no, we had to watch the Saturday night game, uh, which was far from a come from behind victory. And joining me is Josh Murphy once again, back uh, from a long hiatus out of the podcast, and his uh, and his beautiful dog Max, who is also chilling out in the back behind him. Um, and of course, the one and only Nathan. Williamson, the long-suffering. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, no, that's pretty fair. <laughs> you, you, let's let's start, gentlemen. I think it's it's fair to say, uh, if only we were talking about the Matildas' uh, incredible result, uh, but we do not. Uh, that as far as we will stray into the world of soccer. Um, I believe we all uh, went through the stages of grieving quite quickly. Uh, and then uh, came up with distractions on Sat on Sunday to make us feel better. So to kick us off, Mr. Murphy, first of all, welcome back. What did you do to distract yourself from another mediocre performance? Right. Uh, well, the first thing I did was kick, swear, turn the TV off, and sink my sorrows in a couple of pale ales. That was quite nice. Uh, but uh, Sunday came the day, and uh, I had to do guttering. I had no real choice. Six hours later. That was complete, and all of a sudden, I forgot about the wallabies and the woes that we continue to, you know, see week in, week out, currently at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it was, it was, it was such a, a strange headspace to be in, going, thinking, thinking to ourselves. Even though I wasn't that optimistic to begin with, but just, uh, just the end result. Nathan, I know that you, uh, are we allowed to mention this on podcast that you went to the Yarra Valley straight afterwards? <laughs> You can, and I, I will say this was this the trip was booked in advance. Thank you very much. This was it was either a celebration or it was drowning the sorrows, and it unfortunately was the latter. But yes, it was nice to experience more of Melbourne after. I mean, I, look, the game might have been good, not the best standard in terms of Wallaby's performances, but sh- the crowd probably the best I've seen in a long time. Shout out to like I think it was eighty four thousand, just under eighty four thousand. Shout yeah. out to everyone in Melbourne. That was like unreal atmosphere. Shout out the pigeons for getting the marketing right and getting that place packed. Uh, awesome. Like everything that wasn't on the field, awesome. Was that the only awesome. success for the Wallabies that night? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, unless unless we're calling the game a bunch of if we're if we put it this way, if the game was over after twenty minutes. It would have been a very success. successful. Yeah, it would have been successful. It's it's such a shame. That the games are uh, not 20 minutes, uh, yeah, like, like, like it, it is was, in fourth grade. Or sevens. If it was a sevens game, we would have yeah. won seven five. We're up one nil. Yes. This absolutely. is why I prefer sevens because it's a great format. <laughs> I will say that the the marketing pigeon did nail the advertising before the game, even though uh, in in retrospect, uh, it probably doesn't ring quite as well as as it probably should have. Uh, the amount of jokes I saw about uh, going to France for the croissants. Uh, and uh, an equivalent. <laughs> I mean, couldn't have timed it any better, could they? Uh, it, it would have been amazing if they had actually pulled together a great performance, but uh, it, I did, it was uh, part of me did think to myself, God, that uh, that didn't time that didn't timing didn't end very well. Uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> it's going to happen. 
Look, at least the pigeon's doing stuff. I approve of it. Um, so let's dive into this game. Of course, the game we are talking about is the Wallabies going down 7-238 uh, at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, uh, which proved itself to be a fantastic rugby venue, as already mentioned. So let's kick off uh, by uh, diving uh, into another classic of the dro- of the drop kickoff, which is very unsubtle homoeroticism. Who are our tops and who are our bottom performers? Um, and I will throw to you first. Mr. Williamson, who was the player or players that stood out for you and who are the players that were going, oh, Jesus, mate, nah. I mean, I think he was probably the man to match the Australian side, but Angus Bell, goodness me. I mean, we called for him to start after the South Africa game, sorry, after the Argentina game. He was unreal. Like, his, the way he took the ball up, he was over the line, the way he just skittled tackles. You know, he's played probably close to 60, 65 minutes as a prop coming off I think he came off twice, one for the yellow card and one for his original sub. He was unreal. He was, again, there's been so much promise about the kid and how much he's, you know, how much we've seen in the past has been hampered by injury. This was a world-class performance in a team which just didn't look world-class. So in terms of standouts, by far, by far the best. In terms of who didn't, honestly, maybe because the standard's so high for him, I'll say Marika. He just, again, the yellow card came at the wrong time. Um, he, again, got beat badly for a Mark Talia tackle. One of the ones, well, Mark, Mark Talia try, sorry. One of the ones where you could tell he was trying to go for just like the grass cutter, stop, um, grass cutter, take him out and almost like essentially a human bullet. But Talia just saw it perfectly and made him look, again, make him look, made him look second rate, which is very rare for Marika. But yeah, that, that's probably, in terms of, I guess, yeah, Marika, I wouldn't say Marika had a horrific game, but it's just you expect him to be a game-breaker, you expect him to change a game, and he just probably wasn't at his best best than that. My question is, and I also, I'm glad that you're, you're highlighting Bell um, a lot there, because uh, I didn't realise how much fucking, how much lip he's got, how much speed he's got on him. And I was just tempted. I want to see a race between Frosty and Bell just in the jet, I want big lads. I want big lads running and seeing if they can outrun backs because I know that we know that Frost can, because he had some speed on him, which was unbelievable uh, oh, to watch. It looked unreal, and honestly, there's there's a time where he, I think it was that that break like the last ten minutes where he rounds up the full, gets the fullback, and I'm like, come on, mate, get past him. It's a bit unreal clip if a fullback can get skinned by a loose head prop, but unfortunately the quicksand hit him, but nah, he was unreal. Finely tuned athletes going about their business. There is few things more enjoyable. Uh, Mr. Murphy, uh, once you overcame the anger and the sadness and down the pale ales, who stood out for you and who was trash? Uh, I had, to be honest, I had three tops for all different reasons. Um, it was a bit of a sausage fest in that one, I know. But really what we're looking at here is definitely Belly. I think he was a 100% standout. He could easily have had man of the match for the entire game, to be honest. Um not just for the Australian team, everything he did, he put effort into and you could see the emotion in him. And that was a big thing that I haven't really seen from a few players recently is the emotion and the aggression that was controlled and, and adequate to the respect of the sport. So, you know, hands up to, to belly there, really, really loving the slim down skeleton and those giant arms that I just imagine being bear hugged and taken to my room. It's amazing. Um, some of the things that he did were just, Rugby IQ, then he did it at the right times. He was able to disrupt the ruck at the right time. He was able to put his hand on a ball and slow down a player. He used his body properly. And I think that was something that he's been sort of lacklustering in, in that defensive interchange component where he's not using his body as much as he could have. So I think for, you know, that the initial 20 minutes, I'll give him definitely, he just continued to, to pull the rabbits out of the hats at the right time. And then lastly for me, uh, Marky Mark. It's just progressing and you can just build off him really, really well. And I think there's something to say there that there might be opportunities to give some more opportunities for him to allow his flair to come through. I think there's just really, really tough call, you know, with Marika and you put Marika against Marky Mark and right now Marky Mark would be my key selection. I wouldn't even think twice about that on the wings if I was to choose between the two for a position. Um so I think they're, they're, they're definitely uh, my tops, my bottoms. Oh, 
it's a very difficult thing to not say the rest of the team because everyone, you know, <laughs> may or may not have, uh, uh, you know, had a bit of a situation there. But I, I think for me, a surprise selection was Hooper. And I think he just didn't perform the way he needed to perform to have another opportunity at that role. I think he lost his chance to really make a statement. Really wasn't strong in contact in areas that he should have been. Any chance he had a shot at the ball, he was really delayed. I'm not sure whether or not that's just expertise into that position. Uh, but, you know, I've seen a couple of times where he went for the ball when the, the ruck was already sealed. It just makes no sense that you still keep attempting and wondering why he was getting taken out so frequently. Uh, but, yeah, otherwise, you know, you could always have one other bottom and that would be Tate McDermott under Barrett. Yeah, that, that was a that's... very, very, very bottom-esque situation oh. that was. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was going to be my bottom straight away, straight straight to the bottom. Um, not 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 to say that it was a terrible performance because um, he's always doing good, interesting stuff. He's always sniping. He's always asking questions. He's always putting the the that doubt in the mind of, of the opposition that we desperately need. But some of those passes in the second half were in the first part of the second half were not good. Um, and yeah, it definitely wasn't his best performance, but good, some good notable picks there. And I do actually, I kind of want to come out to bat a bit for Tom Hooper a little bit because uh, just for me, I, I think he, he was like one of the top three tacklers of the whole game. Um, it, it, the, the actual stat escapes me, but I think there were three or four Australian players who scored more. Number two. No, number, sorry, 32. He's 32 tackles. Sorry, sorry, 30. 30. He made 30 tackles, missed five. Yeah, which I mean, obviously the five. You, you've got to you've got to talk about the five, and we'll obviously get I'll obviously get into that in a second. But I feel like uh, he actually had a much better performance uh, this this game. Also because I think unlike the previous. Uh, the previous uh, time he played against South Africa, it wasn't like a lamb to the slaughter in Pretoria where you throw this young kid under the bus. Um, the actual, he, he did a lot of work um, and I'm not surprised that uh, he was completely knackered and falling off tackles by the end of it because I've done 10 to 15 tackles in a game and it's exhausting. Um, it is exhausting work. Um, I will say if I was to, to answer the, going back to the main question, Tops. Uh, I mean, I actually wasn't disappointed with Carter Gordon. Everyone's gonna, everyone is gonna make a comment about those two bombs and that one kickoff. For me, those were the blemishes on actually. Those were the only three blemishes, and because they're bombs and kicks, everyone looks at them because they're noticeable. They're moments in a game. They stick out. Aside from that, I actually think he played a very decent debut. Um, he, or more interestingly, the fact that everyone else around him gave him a lot of space to actually unleash that back line a bit. And for the entire time that he was on the field, Australia were in the game. And for, I'd say that for at least that 50 minutes, uh, we actually looked all right. We, that was easily the best that we've looked since Eddie came back. Well, that running ball play off him with the pods on the outside pocket were bloody phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And he was getting Chris Ball in that on the front foot. It, it was a, an extremely inviting play to watch, definitely. Yes. Can also also say add Rob Valentine to that as well. He seemed to really sort of have success off that. He had a, again another one who had a really good game on on Saturday. Yeah, I don't necessarily call this performance absolute garbage because even though the scoreline would suggest so, because for a decent chunk of the game we were genuinely in it, which was much better than what I was actually, uh, you know, uh, which was much better better than where I thought we were sitting post the post lost Pumas game. My lows, my bottoms, are just some of the coaching decisions and some of the structures of play, really. How much do you – like, I know we talked about possession rugby being dead, but there comes a point where you are tackling your ass off so much. And also the fact that so much of the time, a lot of those tackles, even though I thought our defence, again, was improved, uh, the fact that your how much of that game was spent in the Wallabies 22 uh, – You've got you're not in you're not in general play you're not in the middle of the field where you can afford to miss a tackle you make you miss one tackle that's a that's a try that's a that's a and that's seven points on that's five potentially seven points on the board so I question some of the tactics I question uh, how hard these this team has got to work in terms of defensive strategy and just some of the some of those calls and decisions and also the execution under pressure. 
how the hell have we not learnt how to manage that pressure execution? Because the moment that we were put under significant pressure by the All Blacks, uh, the boys capitulated and struggled and, and mistakes were made and we're talking very basic errors, very basic errors. And that was the question right moment where I went, well, aren't we training for this? Don't we train for this in in like these are the key issues that we're the problems that we're issuing and focusing on. Are we feeling similar about this? Is it is it a, like do we feel that is where the game fell apart? Because I worry about this. I worry about the Wallabies under pressure. Oh, absolutely. Are they just training drills at the moment though? <laughs> I actually had someone bring that up to me the other day, and, and it's kind of a weird point, but. Someone said that we're really just training for the World Cup. And it was like a, a really weird perspective to look at it. But, you know, 80 minutes of defense against the All Blacks, it's not a bad uh, training session, is it? But, you know, it's, it's, it, and you see things like that. You know, we're, we're trying the players, we're, you know, we're bringing people back. But, you know, Gordon's getting his start and we're seeing what works off him. It was a different perspective. I really enjoyed it. Still didn't mend the broken heart that I had. But, you know, it's, a, it's, what a perspective to look at it. Yeah. I think also that ex- execution under pressure, you know, it's all well to go through the training drills and all that, but this is now the sixth game in a row. We've had someone yellow carded. And a lot of those mm. are that execution under pressure that we're, we're taking the easy way out um, and just shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, two yellow cards. And then you look at that, you know, period just before and after halftime can say two tries. The second yellow card comes, three tries with I think I think I think it was three with two pair on the bench. It was two or three, one one of those. Mm. Just killing it's ourselves. The, the question I ask then is, uh, do you reckon this is this is for all other teams watching? This is where they go. Okay, this is how we beat the Wallabies. If you put them under pressure, they fold, and then you can run up a cricket score against them. Do we think this is where the key Achilles heel lies? for the 2023 Wallabies? Four choice of words, all right? Achilles heel is not the right term to use right now. <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, I think that you might be right, that that might be a bit of a sore spot. Uh, I think it's definitely focused. Even Argentina were putting pressure on them as well in, in, you know, in that last game where, they, again, just mistakes are con- continuing to be made and the penalties all add up. It's something that you can't do against the All Blacks in any given time, let alone in preparation and coming up to World Cup games. And look at the difference. So at 19, between us and the All Blacks at the moment, at 19, so 19-7 just after the second half, we had sold five or six minutes at pounding their line, just throwing everything that we had, particularly, the, I think we had three or four rolling malls within 10 metres. The All Blacks stayed calm, stay composed and wait for us to make a mistake. That's the difference between a good team and a great team. Because there were signs that this is still, this is a good Wallabies team. But it's not a great one. It's not ones that have competed with the All Blacks in the past. That have kind of, that put themselves out there and saying, we are World Cup contenders. The joy is, as I've said in a couple of pods now, realistically we don't have to be at this stage. As, as Josh alluded to, We've got it. the way this draw is set up is you can you can treat these as training runs. The problem is it doesn't fill you with any confidence that all of a sudden that train these training runs in exclamation points is going to all of a sudden come together on the field. If it does, Eddie Jones looks like a genius. This looks like this is the biggest and longest game of full day chess I've ever seen in my life. If it all of a sudden comes together, he gets us to a semi final. And with a puncher's chance, we knock out one of the big heavyweights to get ourselves in the final. But at this point, he's still, it's still, he, he, we're still, we're, it's one massive, honestly, with, the, with this, the best way to describe it, again, with this, the doco coming out, this is all just one massive plot line at this point. We have two ways to go. It is other, is it Road to Wrexham, whatever the Wrexham one's called, or it's Sunderland Till I Die. It's, uh, it's glory. We're just currently at this point. We just don't know. And the thing is, yeah, I, I'm still kind of sitting here, just unsure of what the hell is is going to happen when we get to France. That's the thing. I, I don't think I've seen any. I don't think any Wallabies fan is saying enough to be like, you know what? We can we can go deep. We can go far in the World Cup. We're just we're in limbo. We're in a place where you kind of 
I think, yeah, I just don't know what to what to kind of think with, as you've kind of alluded to, a game against New Zealand in New Zealand, which where the New Zealand are a dollar oh one to win. We are twenty three dollars. We then go to France and play France in a warm up game. What? How much stock do you put in that? Who knows? And then we're then we're you know realistically playing for playing for it all, maybe going into it zero from five. You just how do you have confidence in that? That's the thing. That's what Eddie Eddie's yeah you know, every every word Eddie says you know fills you with confidence after the game. But it's like how much is that is actually going to translate, and when is it going to translate onto the field? See, I don't know. I don't necessarily think it fills me with confidence anymore. Uh, sometimes, and I and I will use a rugby analogy in this particular regards because uh, I, I know everyone says oh, Eddie talks a lot of talk, but in, in my mind at least, particularly because of the fact that we've been so starved of success for so long, I think you've got to earn the right to talk a little bit like that. Uh, you've got to actually have the success to back it up and have the progress to back it up. And right now I am not seeing it. It reminded me eerily of England 2016. Um, Eddie did talk a lot of talk, but when it came to the actual players and themselves, they were the most unrevealing, straight down the line, straight down the barrel, this is what we're going to do, this is the thing that we're going to try and prove to ourselves sort of mentality. And I feel like that's the approach that we should probably take right now, be that this is we have a job to do and we have a whole bunch of stuff to work on. Of course, that doesn't sell tickets and it doesn't it doesn't sell – You know, we know exactly what he's doing. He's drumming, up, he's drumming up media debate. He's drumming up support for the game. He's drumming up all of that stuff. But another part of me thinks if you're going to talk that talk, you've got to earn it. You've got to earn – it's like earning the right to go wide. You can't. You've got to. You've got to actually do the hard yards and get the work done in the forward pack first before you can start talking a big game. That's fair. Also, I think yeah, it's just it's at the point where we're less than yeah you know, over a month out from World Cup, and sometimes you just got to play that poker face until it all comes together. Is mm-hmm. not kind of tell people. Yeah, you know, keep telling you you've got you know three aces. You're holding two aces, and maybe you're not. It's just it's one of those again. Until the point we just, I just don't know. I just don't know. That's it. Well, we can contrast that quite nicely with uh, with how the All Blacks went, and I think now is a good opportunity to kiss the ring uh, for uh, for the folks across the Tasman um, because they are a very much a different side from the one that has looked un- how they've looked under Fozzie under previous years. Mr. Murphy, is this the All Blacks peaking at the right time? I think there's still more to come. Well, I don't think they're all the way there yet. I think there is still more to come. You can see their game plans have become a little bit adaptable per team. There's slight adapt, you know, peaks and troughs and controls, which they're always good at, you know, right to the end of the half, right at the beginning of the second half. Consistent point scorers in those periods. But just seeing a few more tactical changes within gameplay movements, Wider changes really, really fast, transferring it from a coach's perspective. We're, we're looking at transitions to left to right to left to right to kick to counter. And it's so fast. I would love to meet the SNC and fitness coach team just so that I can learn how to do that myself because it seems like they're on a different level. Like half the time that they come off the field, they're not blowing. And it's absolutely bewildering. Um, you know, I just think there's just more to come and the results are showing. It's just going to be a very tactical World Cup from the All Blacks, but they're just going to dismember every team that they verse and we're going to see some real, real big score lines coming up. I actually think to myself, if we do a contrast back to just that coaching staff and decision, I'll add to your point, I the moment that they got Joe Schmidt in, to uh, into that coaching lineup, they look a different side. They look night and day uh, with his inclusion uh, in that coaching staff and that coaching lineup. Just uh, the tactics and approach, and more to the point, just uh, again earning the right, earning the right to do what they do. They they withered the storm and they withered the the pressures that the Wallabies put on them, and then 
you have moments where Scotty Barry is so confident that he can actually shush the one, the loudest player on the Australian team. The silencer. <laughs> the silencer. That was I've time crashed that, but and I've, I've gone with a couple of sports doco references already, but this feels like this is almost the Kiwis' last dance. Or dance, whichever side of Tasman you are. Like, there are so many of these guys going to be playing their last game on home soil this weekend. You know, you look at Aiden Foster, you look at even Richie Wawanga, Aaron Smith off to Japan. Um, I think White, I think Whitelock, I think it's a couple. There's, there's several All Blacks who essentially this is going to be their last year if they're, the laws around their eligibility stay the same. It feels like a team which recognizes that and understands that this is. This is this is it. You you've really realistically looking at France the way they're set up, they could dominate for the next ten years. This All Black side seems to kind of think, all right, it's twenty three or bust. We've got a chance to really cement ourselves as one of the best teams in a generation. You know, a team that for the last fifteen years has dominated world rugby, and one final trophy just cements that. I think so I think this what, what's said. your movie what's your movie title? Because I got a movie title for that. That's Remember the Titans. <laughs> just the title. Don't worry about the plot of the movie, but just remember the Titans. <laughs> just remember remember just, the all just remember the, yeah, the, remember the all, all blacks. And then you can call uh the Wallabies the replacements. That'd be a nice little touch, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's good. I'm not gonna be able to make that. That's good. <laughs> just they're they're an unreal time to watch the moment, but there is a like I think in terms of – I think Eddie was the first one to throw out their whole – oh, are they peaking, are they not? Like, no offense to the rest of their group. I think they have to peak for the first game, and they have enough time to just taper. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. Italy are good, but a second-rate New Zealand team beats them. Uruguay nearly got beat by Chile. and should have got beat by Chile. It wasn't for, like, two yellow cards. And Namibia got beat by a Argentina A-side. Yeah, you you can afford to rest players late, late into this competition if you're New Zealand, but you have to win that game against France to make sure you're playing the loser of South Africa and Ireland. It really it does make you think that that game really they they probably already got all of their eyes on that particular game more than anything else because it seems just like a natural focus, particularly not not just because they know that. That that game's critical for their campaign, but they also probably know that the French are going to be throwing all their cards on the table as well. Game at home, uh, particularly as well, the fact that the last couple of years has uh, has been quite positive for French rugby, finally grabbing some critical wins over them, um, and kind of shaking off the monkey rather. Just yeah, you'd have to think that that's going to be a focus on it. Let's talk rugby championship in general now. The this smaller version is finished. We have a clear sense of where everyone is sitting. Um, and it is slightly disappointing for us Wallaby fans that uh, literally everybody has improved uh, except us, even Michael Checker, um, which uh, which really says a lot. Uh, where do we sit? Where do we see where the Southern Hemisphere contingent is sitting right now? We've already talked talked and touched on the All Blacks and very much deserved winners of this truncated uh, smaller version of the of the Rugby Championship, but I do think that the Springboks and Lost Boomers are both sitting in very interesting positions. And, of course, they also played out a game where the Springboks snuck home at home 22-21 in what was a fantastic match with plenty of drama. Uh, Nathan, where do these two teams sit? Uh, and where do we all sit in general right now? I mean, we'll start with the Kiwis. I think that they probably, at the moment, eh, oh, you know what? Well, cool. I reckon they'll, they'll, they enter as favourites. I know of the tournament. Of the tournament, I bulk cool. I think the Irish and French have, play, have played well through the Six Nations, but there's something about the way the Kiwis are playing right now. I, I've seen enough from the, them against South Africa and them against us to say they they should be favourites. Sure enough, I think the book. Looking at it now, the bookmakers agree with me. Like they're 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 just favourites over France. So. Get your bets in, guys. You heard it first. All I'm saying is Australia's $11. Like, if we move on to South Africa, I think they're in a real dogfight. Like, they looked a lot better against Argentina, but still, you know, found themselves conceding two like tries to only win by a point. This island team's good, but the only thing that doesn't, it doesn't kind of 
It's stopping me from pulling the trigger is they are Ireland. They are in a World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> and and inevitably we'll get knocked out in the quarterfinals. <laughs> like, this this is a team which, again, could probably put Thanos in and still somehow lose in the quarterfinals. <laughs> Just a bit meh. But, I mean, if there's any you to do it, this is it. Come on, guys. Yeah, I agree. Um, as for Argentina, they're the interesting ones. You've got an England side that... Ha- didn't re- it's still probably in the same position as what we are. The Japan side, which has looked a bit shaky. And Argentina are always very good when it comes to World Cups, or always good after getting knocked out in the pool stages. They generally, if you look at this kind of history, whenever they go out in the pool stages beforehand, they generally end up coming out a third or fourth, in the, or, yeah, they end up making that kind of semi-final when no one's really picked them. So, I think honestly, they could, the way they're playing could be a real chance to top that pool. Real chance to top that pool if they can build off, particularly that game against South Africa. They looked really good. If they can build off that, I think as Checker kind of explained it. If anyone hasn't seen his um, appearance on Good and the Good, the Bad, and the Rugby, watch it. It's great. It talks about how he kidnapped all these players and like put them through a whole bunch of torture. A, a plus watch. Um, but it seems like he's getting all these. He's been real tactical with how he's brought back his players, he was saying. All these guys have gone through the, the long European seasons and have now sort of come up and really been freshened up, like like a good horse trainer does. And I think he's going to have them firing just at the right time to maybe cause an upset or two and get themselves top of that quarterfinal group when not many might be picking it. It's loving, I love it that we've got a horse trainer vibe to it. Uh, and... Uh, it's a, it's it, he is a horse trainer, isn't he, Checker? Like he would, he can make the transition over to Royal Randwick quite nicely, uh, from the Rand, from the Randwick Rugby Ground to the Randwick Racecourse. Mr. Murphy, what are we, what are our thoughts on Lost Pumas? Do we think that these two, particularly the these other sides in the Southern Hemisphere specifically, um, I mean, let's be honest, it's it has been a weird time in rugby, a great time because you have you, there is a sense of unpredictability. You've got the emergence of your of your Frances and your Islands that look genuinely fantastic, playing some of the best rugby we've ever seen. And then you've got the All Blacks peaking at the right time. You've got the world champions in the Springboks. How does the Southern Hemisphere contingent sit right now? I agree wholeheartedly, Argentina, to top the pool. I yeah. I, I don't think that they will struggle against Japan. I think England will make them work for it, but not in a way that they feel rattled at any point in the games. I think they're just going to be consistent and use their little key players to really make a cementing on the points and the kicking. Their goal kicking is one of the more you know, prolific kicking abilities, and I think that that's a really good position for them to be in. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if... If you ever, if you happen to see Argentina and Ireland, <laughs> I just reckon the Pumas are just knocking right out. I, I don't know what it is about the Pumas. You know, if you got to see that game, it could just be an absolute beautiful standpoint. Nathan, I feel like I'm repeating you, uh, but yeah, New Zealand 110% favourites. How? Uh, I no, I disagree. This is unbelievable. I, I, France. Re- in I don't France. think they've. I don't think they've peaked yet. I still think there's more to come from them. And because of that fact, they're going to roll into it. And I think they're going to go unbeaten through the pools and they're going to continue that way all the way through. I don't think they're going to have real struggles until it comes to the potentially a really shit weather game that is going to be decided by kicking, which, you know, Richie, we love you, but sorry, dude, your kicking is not the best all the time. You either have to rectify it or you have ups and downs throughout your games. I think it's something that they could then potentially lose on if we're going to a you know a, a goal kicking um, decision. I don't see France winning it. I see France bombing it. I don't know why. It's just a weird gut feeling. I feel like they're just going to absolutely bomb their opportunities and it's going to be a very interesting uh, situation for France and potentially one of those, oh, no, it's on the home soil um, media cries and we'll all benefit from that, watching the Wallabies potentially get one step closer, which I'll take, uh, <laughs> definitely. Uh, South Africa is a little bit interesting with their pool. The way they played against the Pumas, I'm not sure if they're going to top their pool, to be honest. 
I think that there would be very big potential and I think injury reviews on that team based on their, you know, what they're building now. They've got a very good wider squad squad to, to select from though, which is very handy to have going into a World Cup. Uh, but yeah, I think there could be a decent upset. Ireland, Ireland definitely can upset South Africa. I don't see any issues with that. Um, but a very weird one to throw in there and, you know, beat me if you have to. But I think Scotland could potentially put one on them. No, um, you're, no, with, no, with no, the right no, 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 I'm call, call, I'm call calling me. it now. Call it, call it. I want you to call it because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get you a case of beer, definitely. Cut, I cut think, his mic off. Cut his mic I think, off. <laughs> I just, I just, you know, you can see it. It's definitely not going to be Wales in any capacity. No. <laughs> but, you no. know, I, I think there's that probability. But, yeah, and then going down to Australia, if Australia don't top our pool, I may or may not give up coaching at that point because <laughs> like looking at looking at who we've got and very much so Fiji with the wild card and I think that's a fantastic wild card uh, just to put points on and annoy the shit out of every other team uh, that they verse but yeah if they if, if they don't top that pool I'd be really really worried yeah, let's just make a small shout out to just the Pacific Islands in, in general because all of them are actually looking really good. Um, oh, yeah. Just with the with these new rules coming in, I mean, did you guys catch the the Samoa Fiji game where Fiji ran out winners uh, in Samoa? But just some oh. absolutely stellar rugby. They look like a much improved uh, contingent. I, I can see. Should we should we throw it on the limb here and see that we we hope to see one Pacific Islands team actually make it to quarters? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make the call. I reckon Fiji do. Yeah. What do you reckon Fiji will beat Wales or will beat will knock out Wales? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think Absolutely. I picked it when we when we when we went through the um that the Telegraph predictor as well. I I generally think that they will beat Wales. Wales are uh, Wales just seem like Wales look uh, make us look stable. Like they just they seem to oh, be going through very, so very much. Very very good statement. Can so you like, please put that somewhere and plug that? That's a great. Great plaque. So look, uh, in my opinion, Wales are the sick, are the sick rugby nation of the Northern Hemisphere. Australia is the sick rugby nation of the Southern Hemisphere. Pool C is just the sick pool. It's just sick. <laughs> the pool of sick. In saying that, you can't really be upset about the pool that we did draw. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying it will spread. Uh, the, it will, it'll, it won't be contained. What's that, what's that song? Down with the sickness. Down with the sickness. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be kings of the sick pool. If we can then go infect a couple other teams and get away with it. Done. <laughs> oh, oh dear God! COVID outbreak at the World Cup. Oh, <laughs> We're pool C for a reason, guys. Come on. That's true. That's true. We can't use that word on this podcast either, anyone, but I think you can put your minds to it. What, COVID? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I like the fact that we can see each other. That wink was really successful, Nick. Really yeah. successful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, look, it's, it's, you know, it's an audio podcast. They don't know if I winked or not. Shh. No one, they'll, they'll never know. They'll never know. So with that in mind, we, let's talk. We've talked about uh, heading into this World Cup and where we're all sitting Let's talk this Saturday because, once again, Australia will now make the journey across the Tasman to play New Zealand in New Zealand for effectively another dead rubber. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's hard to get excited for this game, but it is the Bledisloe Cup, and the Bledisloe Cup is what we get excited for, or at least we try to, 21 years and counting. Uh, but I will say... What do we think? And this, I'll throw it out to both of you here. First one who answers gets the uh, gets the chockies. Who is making the trip over? Who does not? Who do you leave behind? But firstly, can I say how good is it? To, um, how good is it to have like a 12:30 p.m. Bledisloe? Oh, it's so nice. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be so happy. The rest of the day is free. I might go and see a movie. I've been really wanting to see Oppenheimer. That'll be my, that'll also be the perfect distraction. Uh, from another, that'll be my great distraction after um, uh, after the after another dismal performance. I'll go and watch a fantastic three-hour movie about the destruction of society as we know it, starting uh, in a in a desert in America. <laughs> from a selfish perspective, finishing a test match at 4 p.m. does sound incredible in terms of when it will be done. Um, but in terms of what changes, 
Right. So we need a new. Let's say we need two two tight heads. I think I think this is the time for Ponte Farmacelli to start. I think you have two options. You either go with Slipper on one end, Bell on the other, and then you bring in a Blake Shop on the bench and Ponte um, as your two reserve props. I think this is the time to give Ponte a chance. I don't think he's ever had that chance on international level. I think he's and he's that real abrasive character. If you can, you start him and Angus Bell. You're sending a message early on, that you, and you're going to be breaking some tackles. You're going to be breaking that game line. Just give give him a shot, see what happens. Outside of that, honestly, I probably wouldn't make that many more changes. I, I honestly, I'd give Tate another go. I think Tate. There is something about Tate and Gordon. There is something yeah. there to Tate and Gordon when Tate's not playing like shit, because there is clearly a, a, a potential cohesion that could work there. Plus, they looked exactly the same. Someone needs a haircut. Uh, the, surf, the, the Sunshine Coast surfing, trying to think of something else that's after this. Sorority. No, wait. That's, that's right. Squad. Um, squad. <laughs> siblings. Siblings. Yeah, they are. Go they on. do look like siblings, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, outside of that, yeah, I'd probably keep the team pretty similar. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to think. Maybe go with Fraser McRide over Tom Hooper. Maybe. Outside of that, there's not many real positional ones I, I, I'd switch up. I try and I think this is the point where you got to keep some level of cohesion. We've we've gone with three different back row combos, three different centers pairings. This just the time. I think three different back three combinations as well. This is the time we just find out some combinations and see what they do, see how they kind of work together. Well, I can agree with that. The only other additional change that I would make, um, I, I do hope that McWright is the, the next starting choice at seven. I'll be very clear about that. Um, but I also think Jordi Pattaya needs to get moved from 13. Uh, I don't think that that is a positional... Uh, let, let's let's put it this way. I don't think that's something that's going to support him ongoing if he's put into that position. I think there's too many areas of his game that doesn't make him an adequate 13. I wouldn't mind seeing Parisi come back in and have a bit of a crack at 13 with Karevi, a bit more of the bash bros in the middle there that are willing to take contact. And from me, again, from a coaching perspective, could you imagine the speed of McDermott and Gordon putting Karevi and Parisi into extremely strong hit-ups and fast transitional balls to then hit Marky Mark, Kellaway, Corabetti out wide on a real quick slide? Like, that would be something so crisp about that because Parisi and Karevi as a pairing will be very handy at the breakdown. They will be able to secure each other's rucks and support that and potentially provide that quick ball for us to transition out. Um, but that would be my final change, to be honest. I think you're right, Nath. We need combinations that we've got to be satisfied with that need to be consistent for the next game. And it gives them a second chance. I'd love to see them get a second chance against the All Blacks and have a second chance to really showcase themselves. And I'm really glad that my afternoon distraction straight after that is another rugby game uh, that I will be at coaching. <laughs> so I'm lucky regardless of the result, my distractions literally to the minute afterwards. So I'm very lucky. You, you can essentially take the lessons that you learned from Eddie and just put them straight in. So Eddie, yeah, this and, is what you should have done. Again. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Correct, Eddie. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Translate it down to Boyd Oval. That's the, that's going to be the way to go. And that's fingers the crossed the, and fingers crossed the, the, the rain stays away. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be a decent downpour actually on Saturday. Not interested in that. No, we do not. We do not want to repeat of that. For, look, for me, it is. I, I think it, 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 I'm starting to echo your points. It's, it's, it's pick and stick time. Um, and it's it's more interesting that we we look at this as well as because after this game is of course the France game in Paris, and the and the only question I I now have it's the final question of this podcast where we have again subjected ourselves to another Bledisloe loss is well here we are we're none from three realistically going to be none from five going into a World Cup. I'm prepared to make peace with that. I think we all are prepared to make peace with that. We've talked about this essentially being training for the World Cup. If that is the case, what does success look like 
for the Wallabies for the next two games. What do we consider success? Do you want to be technical or do you just want to be your, your, your perfect social rugby supporter? Because there's two avenues that you can look at this, I reckon. Because on a technical side, discipline has to be improved. If that's not improved, we're just going to shoot ourselves in the foot. And depending on the lovely draw of referees, if we get a couple of whistle happy boys uh, or girls, we might well and truly be in trouble uh, during those games. And that would be the first point. The second point would just to be close out efforts, like making sure that the efforts off the ball is being made consistently. We have periods of peaks and troughs of absolutely sublime rugby that we are just hitting everything that we need to do and then it all just falls away. It's almost like they go invisible and hide behind the next wall that's coming. Uh, but I think from a technical point, that'd be the two areas that success looks like for me. Uh, a win would obviously be making everyone bloody happy. Uh, <laughs> don't but, don't know, make me laugh. <laughs> well, someone's got to be a comedian in this joke. Uh, no, but it's one of those things that we can we can go ahead with. And then just just from a social rugby lover, I just want to see some consistency. You know, not losing by a point, losing by three points, losing by five points, and then moving to getting drubbed by thirty plus points. I'd like to see some consistency, even if they're losses, just consistency of score lines and consistency of attitudes. Um, everyone can take a leaf out of Belly's book from his reaction on Saturday. And I think the whole team needs to be putting that emotion forward to provide that, though. Yeah, I honestly couldn't put it better myself. As much as I'd love a win, and, you know, never say never in, in sport. If they can, if I, what I want to say is something closer to an 80-minute performance than last week, because we got about 40 minutes of it, if that, and that's pretty generous. If even if we can get 60 minutes of it together, and you know, one of those ones where you push them till the end, and then maybe they run away with a game late, maybe they score three tries in 10 minutes. Cool, I'll I'll, I'll be content with that. I'll be content if I can walk walk away from a game being like, you know what, we are on the right track. We are, we are taking steps forward. We can, you know, head to a World Cup in a month's time and, and still be confident that we can go deep. And no yellow cards, for goodness sake. If I have to watch the seventh game in a row with a yellow card, I'm going to scream. And luckily, it's a one o'clock game. I can get away with screaming without having to wake up my neighbours and have police come to my door who live around the corner and go, why the hell are you screaming at that time of night? No Sounds yellow like cards. happened before. <laughs> no comment. That is an ongoing le- that is an ongoing going legal issue, and I am not privy to comment about it. <laughs> yes, the, the eternal fan. Instead, instead, you'll just terrify the children next door with your with your obsessive screaming. <laughs> yes, yes, so much better. So much more acceptable. Yeah, that, that'll that'll make it work. I I, I think this is this is where we're going to be for a little while as Wallaby fans and as Australian rugby fans. Um, it's I think if I Eddie did say a comment about pr- just keep praying we will get there, which I personally thought was a terrible thing to say uh, to a bunch of, of of rugby fans who have been starved of success as long as Australian rugby fans have been. And I um, can see, Josh, you have something to say on that, but... <laughs> Look, it, it just there's some weird little schoolboy rugby coming out through that, and you know, pray for us. No, mate, we can't pray for you. Just do your job yeah, and let uh, the team actually succeed. Yes. Uh, can, can I add on that and say I do think that's how we got here in the first place. I think someone prayed and made a deal with the devil in like 1999, round 2003, <laughs> that someone's gone. Someone's gone. All right, I pr- prayed too hard for the 99 World Cup. And gone, and the devil's gone. All right, cool. You can have that. You can get to a. How about this? I will get you to a 2000 final on home soil, and after 80 minutes, you would not have lost. And someone, someone, some bastard has made that deal, and it has cost us. Because how else do you describe losing blood? It's like 22 years in a row. How do you explain everything that's happened? And that the devil has reclaimed, has returned to claim their side of the deal. I was five the last time we won a blood Mate, you've got something there. 21. Divided by three is seven. You get three sevens, seven, 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 right? 21. 
21. Let's go. Let's make it. Let's let's do something now where we can just be better than what we were. It would be bloody lovely. Um, but it seems to me like Eddie's got the pick of destiny when it comes to the media right now. No matter what he does or says, he just gets all of the the follow-on and the contingencies. And I think that's why these pray for us comments are coming out because he's running out of material. He doesn't know what else to say now. And it's one of those, all right, well, we're here now. Please, please forgive me. He's going to be the next bloody statement. Can we? Can we? We should put money on what on what the next uh, on what the next comment is going to be. <laughs> Has to be religiously focused. That's the that's the context. What, what about uh, you, put, put money on the next reporter Eddie blows up on? Oh, oh. We, we we all know who that's going to be. Hey, <laughs> hey, how's it going, buddy? <laughs> we we all know who it's going to be. Well, what about um, then? What, what media? coverage like what what um event it is like is it going to be in the follow-up for the next all black splitters game will it be against france or no, I, you know it's going to be in new be? zealand also i think you guys are missing the complete trick of what's going to, what he's going to say on saturday so obvious it's a moral bledders i win guys it's a moral bledders load yes <laughs> and then afterwards we'll refuse to have a beer with them yeah oh. so we will claim the moral bledders load We'll claim the moral bledders low. We'll say that the series was a drawn series, therefore we won it. Um, and then afterwards we'll refuse to have a beer with them. Uh, and, you know, I think it'll be someone like like uh, Richie Mwanga will stick his head in a couple of times and be like, you guys going to come and uh, you guys going to come and have a drink? <laughs> uh, celebrating a moral, moral bledders low. Yeah. But g- kind of going back to the praying point, which which got us sidetracked down this, uh, down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Uh, it is a case now of just seeing what's in front of it and seeing how long you're on the journey for, and just being prepared for the fact that this is the this is the way this is the way it's going to be for a little while. Being a realistic Australian rugby fan, it's not like we've had to do that for, like for years at this point. I think uh, that's just that's just how it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. That's the most depressing statement you can say about any sport. It is what it is. I don't care what anyone says. Give me something better. Let's talk about the Wallabies and what they can showcase. No, we can't do that because at the end of the day, they're not showcasing shit. So they better do something next week because, you know, my heart goes out to the other fans in this world that we deal with because we're all having the same aspirations and wants and needs, but we're just getting shoveled shit in return. It's not fair. (laughs) I'll finish off by simply saying to everyone listening, the Wallabies will be playing this Saturday at 12.30 against New Zealand uh, for a moral victory in uh, in the Bledisloe Cup. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure, as always, talking rugby with you. Uh, we'll probably be back next week to dissect another game, of te- another testing of our faith, uh, another, another game of praying, and I am uh, hoping to all hell that we come away with a moral victory. Wallabies by six. Oh, I appreciate, I appreciate your faith. <laughs> I appreciate the faith, uh, <laughs> The next intro is going to be Gotta Have Faith by George Michael, 100%, just, and then yeah, put it we'll in g- Wallabies by six. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put, we'll put, we'll just see how we go getting, getting that past copyright. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really silly question. You know, rugby's a game of 15 players on the, on the field. When we're attacking, we're attacking weak defenders. We're looking for weak defenders. Why would we run at the strongest defenders? So if Martin's there and, and sorry, what's your name? Nick and Nick's there, we're not going to run to Martin, are we? <laughs> Guys, can you just send my best wishes to Warren and make sure he enjoys the third and fourth playoff? <laughs>